Good morning uh, to you there in your house, car, taking a walk. Uh, God is good, and he is so good. I love how that song builds, and it's a reminder. You know, I'm healed, I'm called, and the power of Jesus in us, the resurrection power in us, changes the way we live. And, you know, maybe you're wondering... Why Paul in this book, if you've been following along with us over the last six weeks, why he is so upset with the Galatians, the church there in Galatia. And the reason he's upset is because they left the faith of which they were found in. (laughs) Let me explain that. Jesus is the hero, not us. And so when we grapple with that and understand what that means, it changes the way we live. And so Paul's looking at this church, and all of a sudden, they knew that they were saved by grace through faith, and now they're trying to earn their way. They're trying to live by law from the Torah, which is the five, first five books of the Old Testament. So anytime I refer to the law, I'm referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. And the first five books of the Old Testament have 613 laws, and so... This group who were saved by faith is now trying to earning their way and their salvation through doing good works. And it is a criminal doctrine. And so Paul is so upset because what happens when you begin to do that, you make yourself the hero of the story instead of Jesus being the hero of the story. Today, Paul jumps in and he really digs in to his I would say his anger with this group. And if you have a Bible there in your room or wherever you're at, I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to read the first five verses of Galatians chapter 3. And so as you find that, I'll give you a second to find that. And just picture, if you can, Paul there speaking these words. They're receiving these words from him because they had left the faith in which... They knew that they were justified by faith in Jesus, and now they're trying to live by a law and earn their way to God. And he's, he's, he's upset with them. And look how he addresses them here in Galatians chapter 3. If you can in the room that you're in right now, or flip off your blanket, or jump off the couch, or stand in your kitchen, or, and just pause. And let's just read God's word as we're standing the first five verses of Galatians chapter 3. Would you read it with me? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Go ahead and have a seat there back on your couch and, or in your front room. Let me just begin by saying this truth in regards to the text today. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's a simple pass-fail. How many of you remember back in, when you were a student in school, and some of you are a student in school, some of you are e-learning now, and some of you are college students, uh, as our younger son is, and you're finding yourself in Zoom classes. And 
But how many of you remember, I remember when I was a student, often a teacher would grade on a curve. And so they would take the highest grade and the lowest grades, and then they would, they would curve that so that the majority of the people would meet in the middle. And so it really wasn't a pass-fail. It was, you just hoped that someone do, didn't do really good, set the standard too high, and you hoped that someone didn't do really bad, that it pulled your grade down. God doesn't grade that way. In fact, God's simple way to heaven is pass or fail. You pass if you believe in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and you accept that by faith, and you fail if you try to earn your way to God. And so as that statement, think about it for a second. How do we pass the test then to enter heaven? That's the whole argument here in Galatians because they at once believed they were justified by faith through Jesus and now there's a remnant that has been brought up that are now saying, no, 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 you have to follow the first five books of the Old Testament. You got to do the ceremonial laws. You got to do the civil, civil laws and the moral law. In fact, you must do all 613 of them. The truth is, they couldn't do that. No man could ever live by the laws. So it's pass fail. I remember as a college student at Grace College, I took a class called Evangelism Explosion. And in Evangelism Explosion, we were asked to go out and interview people and ask them these two questions. The first question that you would ask was this. Do you know for sure that you are going to be with God in heaven? And so I would walk up to someone and take a survey and I would ask him the question, do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven? And so someone would answer that. I think so, yes and no. And so you had an idea whether or not they truly trusted in Christ. And in case you didn't, you would follow up with this second question. And I've asked these two questions thousands of times. The second one in Evangelism Explosion is this. If God were to ask you why I should let you into my heaven, what would you say? So let me just ask you that are watching out there via this online service. Do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven? The second question I'll ask you, if God were to ask you, why should I let you in heaven, what would you say? You say, if you're saying anything else besides Jesus, I trust in the work on the cross, I believe was resurrected from the dead, and the only way I can pass this test to get to heaven is through Jesus. If you're saying anything else, I was a good person, I was a great child, I, I obeyed my parents, I went to church, and... I read my Bible and, and I was faithful and I loved all my community. I did all the blitzes and I served. And if you're banking on works, then you're not entering. The only way that we get to heaven is pass or fail. It's either through Jesus or not through Jesus. And so think about this. One sin separates us from God. And if you believe that your sins are less or even less vile, then you still fall short. Sometimes people do that. Well, I haven't done what you've done, and my sins aren't as bad as that murder on Skid Row, and I haven't committed adultery, and I haven't done this, and I haven't, and you just, and somewhere in your mind, if you're thinking because your sins are less, that you have a better chance of getting to heaven. Well, I have some bad news for you today. One sin separates you from God, and it doesn't matter what that sin is, and we've all sinned and fall short of God. It is impossible to keep 
the 613 laws of the Old Testament. So Paul is going after this church because not only are they reverting back to the law of the Torah, but they are picking and choosing which parts of the law to live by. So he goes to Peter and Cephas and he says, Peter, now you're telling me that because you're scared of losing this friendship, that now you're reverting back to the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And you're telling me, Peter, that if you eat shellfish and if you eat pork, then you will not enter heaven. He is so upset with Peter in this church because those were laws of the Old Testament. Old Testament were people gave up those things to follow the laws of the day. And honestly, let me just speak very candidly. There is a movement, even in our circles, in this community, in our world, that's doing the very same thing. And in our community, there's this movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And they're doing the very same things that Paul went after Peter for, following and picking laws and saying dietary laws, and we need to do the ceremonial laws that Jesus did. If you don't do those, then your salvation is at risk. Listen to me. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Otherwise, why did Jesus come and die on the cross? It's by grace through faith that we're saved. It's ludicrous to think that giving up shellfish and pork will draw you closer to God. Think about this. It's ludicrous thinking to somehow believe that not eating at Red Lobster and only eating turkey bacon will draw one closer to Jesus. It is ludicrous to think that. Well, I can't go to Red Lobster and eat shellfish, and if I eat shellfish, then my salvation's at risk. Or I better eat turkey bacon, by the way. Who really likes turkey bacon, huh? That somehow that will separate you from God. By the way, but the biscuits, the cheese biscuits, at, oh man, at Red Lobster, they're kind of heavenly. I had to give a lot of that up, but man, I'm sure they're made in heaven. There is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. In fact, look how strongly Paul addresses this group. Look again at verse 1. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, you, what's the word? What's the word he uses there in your room? Foolish Galatians. And then he says this. Who has bewitched you? A better translation, and I've looked at a bunch of translations, is you idiots, one translation says. Who has bewitched you? Who would, who literally, the word bewitch means who has witchcrafted you? That's the translation. He's looking at this church that at one time was justified by faith and grace alone, and now is trying to earn their way through works. And he's saying, who has witchcrafted you? Who has cast a spell on you? Because they were saved by grace through faith, but now they're trying to earn their salvation by doing good works and by keeping the 613 laws of the Torah and celebrating ceremonial feasts. Let me just speak to this for a second. Who has bewitched you? Who has witchcrafted you? You see, Satan is deceptive. What started out as a desire, I'm sure, for Peter and these believers was, and these people who were far from God was, I want to I show God that I really love him. I want to show him that I can walk the straight and narrow. I want to show him that I can be set apart. 
And so what started out as a desire to be more Christ-like turned into a works-based, man-centered religion that ends, leaves you short of God. In our community and even in our church, one of our elders has a brother. And his very brother walked down this path of the Hebrew Roots movement. And I've been in conversation with, with our, one of our elders and he says, my brother had a desire to follow God and he went down this path and he began trying to follow this Hebrew Roots movement and the ceremonial feasts and give up shellfish and dietary laws and, 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 and stick to the Torah. And what happened was he finally got to a point where he was so frustrated that he couldn't keep the law that he walked away from God. Isn't that what the devil does? Who bewitched you? Who witchcrafted you to believe that you could earn your way to God? In fact, he says, you saw Jesus die on the cross with your very own eyes. And you did not earn your salvation. It came by grace through faith. And thus, you received the Holy Spirit by believing and doing. And since it was believing and trusting in the finished work of Jesus, why would growth now come from achieving? You see, we need to start with Jesus and stay with Jesus. Can I get an amen somewhere out there? Start with Jesus and stay with Jesus. There are grave arrows that come by not believing this. Why did Jesus say on the cross, it is finished? Because the work of salvation was finished by the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's why he said it's finished. He didn't say it, 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 it is incomplete. He didn't say that we almost got it done. He didn't say that you need to add on. I ran 90 of the 100 yards and now you have to run the next 10 yards. No, he says it is complete. It's not an incomplete. When I was a, a student in school and college and grad school, and if you didn't finish a course, you would get an incomplete. An incomplete meant that you fell short. You didn't complete the course. But when Jesus went to the cross, he said it is finished. It's done. And we can never finish what he has started. You see, it's a grave error to begin to believe this because you are ignoring the cross of Christ. Why did Jesus die if it wasn't enough? Secondly, I would say this, there's some grave errors too. They were contradicting their own experience of grace through faith. And here's where this whole this, this lie that's in circles today, and even Christian circles, and it goes something like this. God helps those that help themselves. It's absurd. It's a lie. It's witchcraft. That's what Buddhists believe. Buddhists believe that if I do good, then, then I'll get good back. If I do evil or sinful things, then I'll get that back. They live in karma. And the same bewitch or witchcraft religion believes that God helps those that helps themselves. No, we don't need help. It's only through the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? Out there? And Paul is upset with this group and he says, you foolish Galatians and one translation says, you idiots. And by believing this, 
they rendered their own suffering meaningless. See, sometimes we forget when we read this, this was the early church that was established. And if you were a Christ follower during this time, they called you the people of the way, followers of Jesus. And if you were a follower of Jesus during this time, after the resurrection of Jesus, you were persecuted. You were thrown out from your jobs. In fact, many people lost their jobs. They had to leave their homes. Sometimes it separated families because one family member says, I now trust in Jesus. Others didn't. And he's saying, listen, going back and doing the works, you're rendering all this suffering that you walk through meaningless. And the last thing they were doing, they were denying the work of the Spirit in their midst. Look what he says in verse 3. He says this. He says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, so again, ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by you believing what you've heard? He says, you're even denying the work of the Holy Spirit. They witnessed miracles. They saw souls saved. They saw healings take place. They saw blind men now see. They saw lepers cured. And he's saying, are you rendering all that that was done by the Spirit of God that lives in believers as ineffective and no longer something that we should live by now? And so Paul would even say in 2 Corinthians, and if you have your Bible there, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He reminded them of what happens at salvation. It's this group is, most of them aren't following Jesus. Some of them thought were following Jesus. And this whole church is upside down trying to live and earn their salvation by following the law, the Torah. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. Paul reminds us here of this. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. See, that's what happens when we get saved. When you and I trust in Jesus, when I gave my life to Christ as a five-year-old young boy, immediately, when I, when I trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross, immediately, prior to that moment, I was a person that didn't have the Spirit of God in me. God didn't live in me. But as soon as I trusted and believed in Christ and accepted that free gift, God automatically and immediately lives in me. The Spirit of God lives in me. And he's saying, listen, you know that's what the truth is. Why are you thinking somehow that you can earn the Spirit and then have him live? That by doing good things. And he says here in 2 Corinthians, when you were saved, you were anointed. In other words, you were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he says in this passage, he set his seal on us. He marked us. He identified us as his own. And God never reneges on his promises. And then he says he deposited the Holy Spirit in you. He drops an investment into our account. And so literally, he's saying, hey, when you come to Christ, the only way you can do good works is Christ working through you, the Spirit of God working out through you. It is impossible for a dead man to do good works. 
That's why the Bible says this. The Bible says that you and I, before Christ, are dead in our trespasses and sins. So dead people can't do good works. So there's no way that you could ever do anything good enough to get to God. He said, that's the Spirit allowing you now to do good works and good deeds. And then he said, in the second Corinthians, that not only did he deposit, not only did he seal, not only did he anoint or empower, but he guaranteed our inheritance. What's that mean? Inheritance is a pledge to pay another person's debt. He takes responsibility for our sin. You see, they were shifting salvation from Jesus' hands into their own hands. Let me, let me demonstrate that with, with you for a second here. Think about that for a second. It matters whose hands it's in. If I were to take this basketball myself and I were to go out and shoot some hoops and maybe you put me in your game and maybe at 58 years old, I might be good for maybe a, a three or maybe two or three of these and maybe if it's a really good day, I might even score get to 10 points with the basketball in my hands and that's about what this is worth about 10 bucks 20 bucks to me but if you put this basketball right here in LeBron James James's hands this basketball is worth almost a million or, t- or a billion dollars it depends whose hands it in in my hands 10 15 20 bucks maybe 10 points in LeBron James's hands a billion dollars if you were to take this football here and put it in my hands, I might be able to be the all-time quarterback for the neighborhood kids and, and maybe toss one or two touchdowns with a whole bunch of interceptions, and this ball would be worth about, this rubber one, about $7. But if you were to take this ball and put it in Tom Brady's hands, it would be worth about six Super Bowls and about a half a billion dollars. It matters whose hands it's in. In fact, if I were to take these, this hammer right here and put it in my hands, and I am a carpenter by trade, I could probably, and, and no, I, I could, I've built a lot of homes, I could build you a home. This is a trim hammer. I could trim out your house, and, and I could be worth some money to you. You would pay me by the hour. But if you put this hammer in Chip Gaines's hands, he gets a TV show, and he's worth almost a million dollars. It matters whose hands it's in. If I were to take this golf club and you say, hey, Jim, I want you to be on my scramble team, and I was to take this driver and I was to hit the drive for you, this club in my hands is worth about $300 and a good hook left. That's about what it's worth. But if you put this club in Tiger Woods' hands, it's worth about a billion dollars. It matters whose hands it's in. If I were to take this staff or this stick and put it into my hands, it's worth about nothing to you. But I would take an, I could walk with this and I could climb maybe a mountain with it. It's not worth much in my hands. But if I were to take this stick and this staff and put it in Moses' hands and he was to hold it up, he could part the Red Sea. It matters whose hands it's in. If I were to take this globe right here that I have and put it in my hands, the best I could do with this is say it's worth about 20 bucks, and I might be able to teach you geography class. That's it. But if you take this globe and this world and you place it in Jesus' hands, what happens? He holds the world together. 
It matters whose hands it's in. If I were to take these nails right here in this box, and I were to grab two of these nails and put them in my hands, I could probably take and drive these nails with that hammer into your wall, and I could hang up one of your photos. And I might even take these nails and maybe build a birdhouse for you. That's about the extent of what could happen in my hands. But you put these nails in Jesus' hands, and he can die for the world, and there is salvation through these nails because they're in Jesus' hands. You see, it matters more whose hands it's in. And this church at Galatia is saying, my hands are better than Jesus' hands. And Paul is saying, you foolish Galatians, you who has witchcrafted you to believe that you could do more with your hands than Jesus has done with his hands. Amen? You see, salvation is more than just being forgiven too and released from the penalty of sin. It's a release from the power of sin to do good works. There's a big difference. Like I don't just trust in Jesus Christ so that I have a free ticket to heaven, by the way. That's awesome. But it's not, I don't trust in Jesus just to get out, get a, a get out of hell card free. I trust in Jesus because I believe in him. And now, now that I, I'm free from the penalty of my sin, I'm free from the release and power of sin. I'm no longer in bondage to it. I can now do good works and I can point other people to Jesus. The reason I do good works is not to earn my way, but to show that God lives in me. There's a big difference. And Paul is talking to this group. And he's saying that God is the forgiveness provider and he is the righteousness producer. That's a big error that this Hebrew Roots movement has. That way it makes Jesus the hero in every story because he had, had he not died on the cross, then we would be doomed to hell. See, if we started in the spirit, Paul says, and you did, do we really think that we finish in the flesh? This just leads to us boasting in ourselves instead of boasting in the Lord. That's why 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord, not in yourself. You see, works-based law-keeping makes men the center of attention instead of Jesus being the hero. Hear me. Jesus is the hero of every story, not us. Amen? Now you can see why Paul's so upset. They're trying to add to and even earn something that Jesus already earned. You and I can't get to heaven by doing good works. Let, let me demonstrate to you. Maybe this will help you remember. Wes, could you bring this ladder up for me for a second? And I want you to think through this illustration that we're about ready to unpack here. And, and in our world, we have this thinking that goes something like this. Earn your way to the top. And if you work hard enough, and if you work enough overtime, and you sell enough, and you accomplish enough, that somehow you can make your way or get your way to the top. 
And so this group is somehow believing like, I can finally, heaven's up there. And the only way I can get to God is if I earn my way. And so I'll do this. I'll keep this law. I'll keep that law. Wes, and thank you for holding this, brother. I'm trusting you. I'll do this. And as we continue to climb, that somehow we can get to God. That's what this Galatian church is doing. They're saying that somehow we can earn our way. Here's the reality. We don't need to climb up the ladder. Why? Because Jesus came down to us. Thank you, Wes. You see, that's the picture. It is ludicrous to think that you and I can climb our way to God with our good deeds. And you know what happens with that theology? Guess what happens? Look how high I am. I'm on step seven. What step are you on? You're only on three? It makes it a man-centered religion. Christianity is the only religion that's Jesus-centered or God-centered. Every other religion is based on man accomplishing. And Paul is saying, no, we can't accomplish anything on our own to earn our salvation. It's only through the work and finished work of Jesus on the cross. Amen to that? So then he says this in verse 6. Let me give you an example then if you wonder. So also Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. And then he says, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Do you guys remember the song as a kid? Maybe I'm dating myself and it went something like this. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Do you remember that? Father Abraham had many sons. I remember singing that. What the world am I? Why am I singing this goofy song? But boy, did I love it. We just keep going in the old station wagon singing it. I didn't understand later what that meant. And Paul is going back and he's saying, listen, before the law even came to be. Hear, hear me out. In Genesis 12 through Genesis 15, it said that Abraham believed by faith. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. And he's saying, listen, Abraham believed, and because he believed, everyone else, everyone else that would be born from him, everyone else that would believe like he believed in Christ alone, years to come would be blessed. And he's saying, listen, he didn't have a law-saving religion. He trusted in Jesus by faith and believed for Hundred years before the law. And he was declared righteous. Or counted as righteousness. A check was written to the account of Jesus. His blood bank account on behalf of Abraham. You see our sin debt was paid in full by Jesus on the cross. 
Right after this, God changed the name, by the way. If you go back and read, do it this afternoon, this evening, maybe in your small groups tonight. In Genesis 12 through up to Genesis 18, you will see right after he, he was justified by faith and it was credit to him because he had faith against faith as righteousness, his name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Have you ever wondered why? Like, why did they change his name from Abram to Abraham. You see, the word ha in Abraham is the same sound you make for breath in Hebrew. It's the, the breath is the same word for spirit in Hebrew. The word ha is the way you pronounce the word breath, and it was Abraham. It literally meant, it meant this. So this name change was symbolic of God putting his ha breath spirit into Abram to make him Abraham spirit. So literally the spirit came because he trusted in the Messiah to come. And he said, every nation would be blessed. And he looked at Abraham, who was 90 plus years old, and he says, not only will I bless you and you will be saved eternally, but you're going to have a child. Not only did he do a spiritual work in him, he did a physical work in him. Why? Because now the resurrection power was available to him just like it is to us when we come to Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Before Christ, if you don't know Christ and you come to know Christ, before that, there's no God that lives in you. I mean, really wrap your mind around this for a second. That means everywhere you go, God is not only with you, but he's in you. And when you trust in Jesus, not earn your way, when you believe by faith, you change into this new man, this old heart becomes a new heart, and now you have resurrection power living in you. That's why I say this all the time. There should be a distinct difference between Christ followers and people who don't follow Christ because we have an unfair advantage because the Spirit of God lives in us. Amen? Ha, Abram, Abram, ham. He, the breath of God now lived in him. And all nations would be blessed through him. In Matthew chapter 1, just turn to Matthew chapter 1. Here, here's the blessing. And we're Gentiles. Think about that. You and I are Gentiles. Most of us are. There might be some Jewish messianic Jews that are watching today. But the majority of us are Gentiles. Praise God that we can be saved. Look at Matthew chapter 1. It's the lineage of, of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Here, here it is. He said, you will be blessed through Abraham. The, the nations to come would come through him. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. The son of who? What's it say? Abraham. And by the way, keep in mind, he was counted as righteous before the Torah, the law, was even written 400 years before. So if you believe today that you got to keep the law to be saved, well, then just start back there with Abraham. Because Abraham trusted and was justified and declared righteous and counted as righteous 400 years before the law. And Paul is going crazy with this church. So obedience to the law... 
can't be a condition for obtaining the promise. It wasn't around yet. Righteousness and spiritual life are given to all who simply believe the promise that it is finished, just like he said. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, and we believe he was raised from the dead on the third day, we will be saved. The whole works driven leads to us replacing the work that Jesus, King Jesus, I should say, has already done for us. And it tries to put us on the throne instead of King Jesus. Have you ever watched this happen? You know someone that's going down this path. What do they continue to do? Well, you're not doing this and you're not doing it right. And I'm above you and I'm set apart, but you're not set apart. Your salvation's at stake. And it constantly centers upon them doing better than you. And it becomes a man-made religion. And they just try to keep earning. And you know what happens to them? They end up getting frustrated because they can't keep the law. And then they start picking and choosing. Well, I won't eat at Red Lobster, but I'll eat over here. I'll go to Long John Silver's and order chicken, but I won't order shellfish. It's just nuts. And so this picture of them trying to earn their way to God, and they try to unseat Jesus on the throne. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, and it's all the works of the enemy. Hear me out. It's witchcraft. That's what Paul called it. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, and look at verses 18 to 23. Paul says here, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And he says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then he says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And then it says this in chapter 2. Here's where we pop in. Look, what, look where we're at positionally. Verse 6 of chapter 2 of Ephesians says, And God raised us up. That's me, that's you, that has a relationship with Jesus. Raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let me visualize this for you a second if I may. Picture if you can. I know it's difficult to do this. But picture if you can for a second the three in one. In heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all seated in heaven. Picture them, if you can, Jesus himself, God the Father, God the Son. It says in Ephesians that he, God placed him and seated him far above. So right now, God is seated far above. All evil, all principalities, all darkness, Satan, his demons. In fact, he is so, it says, far above. In other words, he sits enthroned in heaven. And the truth is this, when the demons look up and when Satan looks up, what do they see? They see the bottom of Jesus' feet. 
And now why is that important? If you ever traveled to Asia like I have and many of you have, when you go to Asia, you never point the bottoms of your feet at someone. In fact, when you're seated on the ground, I often tell our teams, don't bust culture, so cross your legs. You never sit down on the ground like this and tell me, my legs at 58, I can hardly cross my legs. And why? Because when you show someone the bottoms of your feet, it's a measure of disrespect to them. It's the same with Jesus. As Satan looks up, Far, far below, you know what he gets to look at? Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus said? Bam, in your face. But then it says this, that Jesus and God has seated us with Christ in heaven. So picture, you die. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your next breath, you enter heaven. You're way down at the end of the streets of heaven. And as you look way ahead, you see Jesus on the throne. And what's he do? He goes, hey, come here. And you're like, me? Yeah, yeah, come here. Come here, I, I, I gave my life for you on the cross. And you trusted me by faith. And, and so way down at the end of the road, Jesus is going, come here, come here. And you're like, whoa, I get to come to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And the closer you get, Jesus gets up. And you know what he does? He goes, Who, me? Yeah. You said, I get to sit with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You're like. And you sit down. And you look over positionally. This is where we're seated. I want you to think about this. Right now, you and I are positionally seated with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You know what's below us? Satan. You know what's below us? Demons. You know what we have power and authority over? Darkness. Not based on our works, but based on the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen? See, that should change the way we live. And that fire comes from being soaked in what Jesus has done at the cross. You see, we cannot grow through the law. We grow as the Spirit's power is released in us through continued faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Amen? The only way we can do things that are good is because Jesus and the Spirit works through us. Hear me out when I explain the gospel. The gospel is that you did your best and it wasn't enough. So God in his love sent his best, one and only son, to do for you what you could not do on your own. And all you need to do is receive it by faith. Then he wraps this up in verse 10 of Galatians. Look what he says in Galatians 3 and verse 10. He says this, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not continue everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse on the cross. To try to gain salvation by any other means than the brutal sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is ludicrous, foolishness, and witchcraft. Hear me out as I close. Jesus took the pain, the shame. He drank the cup of God's wrath. He bore the punishment for us. He stood in our place. He suffered for our sins. He paid the debt he did not owe and even experienced separation where God the Father turned away from his son and he even said, Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He set us free from the curse by taking the curse upon himself. Imagine, if you can, a cesspool, a septic tank, Imagine taking all the septic tanks in your neighborhood, just your neighborhood. Now imagine taking all the septic tanks and septic fields and having Miller's sewer and drain coming in and bringing all their trucks in from all over the world. Now imagine if you can all the sin that's ever been committed. Picture if you can that, that have been committed theft and lust and gossip, murder and adultery and greed and slander and hatred and the list is on. Imagine the trucks keep backing up. That's what happened at the cross. All that was dumped on Jesus. It's no wonder he, God turned away from his sight. He couldn't bear to watch it. Listen, we must never minimize the bloody cross of Jesus. Salvation comes by the shed blood of Jesus alone and not by any law-keeping works-driven attempts by man. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Oh, Lord, help us today. God, help us to see who we are in you. And God, I pray that you would pull the scales of deception off of people's eyes who believe that somehow if they keep the law, the ceremonial law, the dietary laws, the civic laws, sure, you want us to have the moral law in our lives and follow after you, but if we're trying to earn, or they're trying to earn their salvation by keeping up, God, they will fall short. It is witchcraft. It's only by the amazing grace of Jesus that we're saved. I pray, God, that we would just get a picture of that today. Get, get a picture of us where we're seated with Christ in heaven, far above. Give us a picture of what it means to be saved by grace. And give us a picture of you, Jesus, are the hero and not us. In Jesus' name, amen.